Welcome back to the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast review series. On today's episode, we cover the topic of acute pancreatitis found under the gastrointestinal section at medbullets.com. Let's start off this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 50-year-old man presents to the emergency room with acute onset epigastric pain. His past medical history includes hyperlipidemia, hypertriglyceridemia, diabetes, and alcohol abuse. His last drink was this morning, and he drinks 20 beers a day. He denies any fevers or chills, but reports nausea and two episodes of non-bloody, non-bilious vomiting. Physical exam is notable for tenderness to palpation of the epigastrium. There is no muscle spasm with percussion of the cheeks. Laboratory evaluation shows significantly elevated amylase and lipase. He is started on aggressive fluid resuscitation. As an introduction, let's start off by defining acute pancreatitis. The clinical definition is acute inflammation of pancreas and surrounding tissue, often by autodigestion with pancreatic enzyme leakage. With respect to epidemiology, risk factors for developing acute pancreatitis include gallstones, which is a common cause, heavy alcohol use, which is also a common cause, electrolyte abnormalities, such as increased serum calcium, increased triglycerides, trauma, drugs such as thiazides, sulfa drugs, NRTIs, protease inhibitors, statins, valproic acid, and many others, viral infections, specifically mumps, autoimmune disease, endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, or ERCP, and scorpion sting. The pathogenesis of acute pancreatitis is as follows. Inflammation is caused by leakage of pancreatic enzymes into pancreatic tissue, which causes autodigestion of pancreas and surrounding tissue. With respect to prognosis, the Ranson criteria is used to predict mortality. The Ranson criteria is based off clinical signs, both on admission and those that are seen within 48 hours. Clinical signs to look out for on admission include a glucose of greater than 200 mg per deciliter, an age greater than 55 years, LDH above 350, a WBC count of greater than 16,000, and an AST greater than 250. Clinical signs to look for within the first 48 hours includes a calcium level of less than 8 mg per deciliter, a hematocrit drop by greater than 10%, a partial pressure of oxygen less than 60 mercury, a base deficit of greater than 4 milliequivalents per liter, a BUN increased by 5 mg per deciliter, and a finding of sequestered fluid greater than 6 liters. Now let's discuss the mortality rates that the Ranson criteria predicts. A patient with 3 to 4 of these signs has a 20% chance of mortality. A patient with 5 to 6 signs has a 40% chance of mortality. A patient with greater than 7 signs has a 100% chance of mortality. Now let's discuss how a patient with acute pancreatitis presents. Symptoms include sudden onset epigastric pain radiating to the back, nausea and vomiting, and signs of systemic inflammation such as fever and chills. On physical examination, you may see flank ecchymosis, which is known as Gray-Turner sign, or periumbilical ecchymosis, which is known as Cullen sign. Cullen sign is seen in acute pancreatitis, hemorrhagic pancreatitis, and hemorrhage. The patient may also have epigastric tenderness on palpation. Now for a word on diagnostic studies. Abdominal radiograph may show a sentinel loop, which is an isolated and dilated loop of bowel seen in inflammatory conditions. 
An abdominal ultrasound is indicated in all suspected patients, and this is used to assess for gallstones. Findings suggestive of acute pancreatitis on ultrasound include enlarged pancreas, abscess, and gallstones. A CT of abdomen and pelvis with contrast is indicated in the cases of an uncertain diagnosis, failure to improve clinically, and with the presence of a gray turner or Collins sign, as this may indicate hemorrhagic pancreatitis. Findings on CT may include enlarged pancreas, indistinct margins due to inflammation, necrosis, peripancreatic fluid, pseudocyst, or abscess. A CT-guided fine needle aspiration is indicated in the case of infected necrosis, and it's used to collect gram stain and culture to guide antibiotic selection. Finding on lab studies include an increased amylase, increased lipase, and a decreased calcium. The diagnostic criteria for acute pancreatitis are as follows. The patient must have two or more of the following. Acute onset epigastric pain, increased serum amylase or lipase to three times the upper limit of normal, and imaging suggestive of pancreatitis. Peptic ulcer disease is a differential diagnosis to keep in mind when working up acute pancreatitis. It also presents with epigastric pain, but the distinguishing factor is that it will not cause elevations in pancreatic enzymes. Now let's discuss the treatment of acute pancreatitis. Some basic principles to consider in terms of your management approach is to remember to remove all offending agents when possible and that treatment will be guided by the etiology of pancreatitis. First-line management includes supportive care, which is fluid resuscitation, electrolyte repletion, analgesia, bowel rest but feed as soon as tolerated, and nasogastric decompression. First-line management also includes intravenous antibiotics. Other treatments for acute pancreatitis include endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, or ERCP, with eventual cholecystectomy. This is indicated in the case of gallstone pancreatitis. Surgical debridement is indicated in the case of symptomatic necrotizing pancreatitis. Complications of acute pancreatitis include pancreatic pseudocyst, fistula formation, pancreatic abscess, hemorrhagic pancreatitis, pleural effusions more often on the left, chronic pancreatitis, and disseminated intravascular coagulation, or DIC. Now that we've covered the learning points of acute pancreatitis, let's try some practice questions. Question 1. A 33-year-old man presents to the emergency department after he is found passed out next to his car. The patient's car was found rammed into a telephone pole. The patient was found napping outside of his car on a bench nearby. Upon arrival, the patient is too intoxicated to offer a useful history. His past medical history is notable for alcohol and IV drug abuse. His temperature is 97.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.4 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 124 over 94. Pulse is 105 per minute. Respirations are 12 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. The patient has a Glasgow Coma Scale of 12 and is not intubated. He is observed in the emergency department with a plan for discharge when clinically sober. The patient is evaluated seven hours later and his heart rate is 130 per minute and blood pressure is 96 over 50. The finding found in figure A on medbullets.com is present. For your convenience, I'll let you know that figure A shows bruising around the umbilical region. He appears uptunded and only arouses to sternal rub. 
Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? Is it 1. CBC, 2. CT abdomen and pelvis, 3. Exploratory laparotomy, 4. Focused assessment with sonography and trauma or a FAST exam, or 5. Observation and serial abdominal exams. The correct answer is 4. The FAST exam. This patient is presenting after a motor vehicle collision with instability of his vitals and call-in sign seen on physical exam, suggesting a diagnosis of a retroperitoneal hemorrhage or bleeding from blunt abdominal trauma. In the setting of this patient's unstable vitals, a focused assessment with sonography and trauma or a FAST exam to assess for bleeding is indicated. Blunt abdominal trauma can damage internal organs that can lead to intra-abdominal bleeding. For most patients, a primary survey, secondary survey, and initial FAST exam can pick up bleeding. However, in some cases, there can be bleeding that occurs later on. For this reason, patients should be observed when there is a serious mechanism of abdominal trauma. Two physical exam findings that can suggest retroperitoneal and intra-abdominal bleeding include Gray-Turner and Cullen sign. Gray-Turner sign refers to bruising of the flanks and is indicative of a retroperitoneal bleed and Cullen sign refers to bruising around the umbilical region. Cullen sign is associated with acute pancreatitis, intra-abdominal bleeding, and retroperitoneal bleeding. Now for the incorrect answers. Answer 1. CBC should be drawn at this time to trend this patient's hemoglobin and to see if he is bleeding. It would not, however, be the most appropriate initial step in management because drawing the lab and waiting for results takes time in an unstable patient. Additionally, the hemoglobin concentration can be initially normal in the setting of an acute bleed despite the significant blood loss. Answer 2. CT abdomen pelvis would be appropriate if this patient was stable. However, his unstable vitals make CT scan an inappropriate choice. Answer 3. Exploratory laparotomy may be indicated after a fast exam and fluid or blood product resuscitation is started. If the patient is not responsive or the FAST exam is positive, this would be appropriate. Answer 5. Observation and serial abdominal exams are inappropriate as this patient is demonstrating Cullen sign and has unstable vitals. Alright, now for a quick bullet summary. Cullen sign suggests late retroperitoneal or intra-abdominal bleeding. Let's try another question. Question number 2. A 39-year-old woman is admitted to the hospital with one day of abdominal pain and vomiting. Her medical history includes peptic ulcer disease, chronic constipation, and bipolar disorder. She denies any alcohol, tobacco, or illicit drug use. Physical exam is notable for epigastric tenderness. Her temperature is 101.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 38.6 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 100 over 65 pulse is 105 per minute, and respirations are 20 per minute. Abdominal CT scan is performed and seen in figure A on medbullets.com. For your convenience, I'll let you know that the abdominal CT scan demonstrates an enlarged pancreas with indiscriminate margins. Which of the following medications was this patient most likely taking prior to admission? 1. Amoxicillin 2. Lithium 3. Pentaprazole 4. Valproic Acid or 5. Simvastatin
The correct answer is 4, valproic acid. This woman with a history of peptic ulcer disease and bipolar disorder who presents with a CT scan and symptoms suggesting of pancreatitis was most likely taking valproic acid, which is both a common treatment for bipolar disorder and a cause of acute pancreatitis. Acute pancreatitis is inflammation of the pancreas, often involving release of pancreatic enzymes and autodigestion of the pancreas. The most common causes are heavy alcohol use, which leads to alcoholic pancreatitis, and gallstone blockage of the pancreatic duct, which leads to gallstone pancreatitis. It can also be caused by several medications, including valproic acid, antibiotics, especially sulfa antibiotics, antivirals, especially protease inhibitors and nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, both which are treatments for HIV, statins, and antihypertensives, especially thiazides and ACE inhibitors, among others. Classic symptoms include acute onset epigastric abdominal pain and tenderness, nausea, vomiting, and fever. Labs show elevated pancreatic enzymes, specifically amylase and lipase. The diagnosis is made based on the combination of classic symptoms plus either elevated lipase, greater than three times the normal limit, or a CT scan showing pancreatitis. Treatment involves suspending the offending agent and supportive care, which includes NPO, IV fluids, and pain medications. Figure A is an abdominal CT scan demonstrating an enlarged pancreas with indiscriminate margins, which suggests pancreatitis. Now let's discuss the incorrect answers. Answer 1. Amoxicillin is not known to cause pancreatitis. It is part of the triple therapy treatment regimen for peptic ulcer disease caused by Helicobacter pylori, a disease which can be asymptomatic or present with recurrent postprandial epigastric pain and nausea. Answer 2. Ibuprofen can exacerbate or cause peptic ulcers, which also present with epigastric pain and tenderness, but would not explain this patient's fever or CT scan findings. Ibuprofen is not associated with pancreatitis, the more likely diagnosis here. Answer 3. Lithium, a treatment for bipolar disorder, can cause renal failure, hypothyroidism, and nephrogenic diabetes insipidus, and can accumulate to toxic levels, as it has a narrow therapeutic window. However, it is not known to cause pancreatitis. Answer 5. Simvastatin, and statins in general, can cause acute pancreatitis. However, this patient's medical history does not suggest any indication for her to be on a statin, such as hyperlipidemia or a prior myocardial infarction. Finally, a bullet summary. Acute pancreatitis can be caused by heavy alcohol use, gallstones, or numerous medications, including valproic acid, and classically presents with epigastric pain, vomiting, fever, and enlarged and inflamed pancreas on CT. That's all for today's discussion of acute pancreatitis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing these topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or mobile app while reading through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets podcast thus far, we'd appreciate your consideration in leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.